slipping back into lockdown. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 397 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by English Dan. Hello. And Santi. Hi there. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, Tony and Andres are unfortunately unable to, to make it. Uh, we, it's been a few weeks since we last recorded and that is basically because I've been busy and then enjoying not having to edit any podcasts, which is much more relaxing than having to edit them. Um, So I'm not going to go through all of the scores that have happened since we last recorded. Uh, What we will do, because there are in the Copa de la Liga Profesional, uh, two rounds of matches left, is it? 10, 11? Oh, no, of course there are. No. Oh, four rounds of matches. Five or six. Um, Three rounds. Three rounds. I was was forgetting about all of the... Ah, four uh, rounds, yes. I was forgetting about the interzonals, meaning that actually everybody ends up playing 13 games. Um, so I, we'll go over the standings in the two groups, which I see on my phone app are still the wrong way around. So my phone app claims this is Group A, but it's actually Group B. Um, Colon remain top of it, having still only lost one match. Uh, I think we talked the about that one last one. time we recorded against River, didn't we? Uh, with 20 points. River, uh, Estudiantes and Racing all have 15 points and occupy the places from second to fourth, which are the... Um, knockout stage qualifying places. Hot on their heels are San Lorenzo with 14 points, Central Cordoba with 13, Banfield with 13, and Rosario Central with 12, and everybody else in that group has fewer than 12 points. Um, In group, according to my phone, Group B, which is actually Group A, Benes Sarsfield atop with 19 points, Lanús second with 16, Union third with 14, Boca, um, who have been in varying degrees of crisis, depending on which television channel you like to watch your daytime football shouting on, uh, are in fourth place with 13 points, ahead of Independiente only on goal difference. Um, Tacheres just behind Independiente on goal difference. So Boca, Independiente and Tacheres all on 13 points. Huracan, Defensa y Justicia and Atletico Tucumán on 12 points. But uh, when I said Defensa Justicia just then, what I should have said was South American super champions Defensa Justicia, um, because one of the things that's also happened since we last recorded, indeed, only just before we recorded this time, because the second leg was last night, uh, is that Defensa Justicia, in what I've just learned from looking up the highlights on YouTube, are hilarious circumstances, um, have come from behind to win the Recopa Sudamericana, or I think it's now called the Recopa Conmebol, but it's the between the winners of last year's Sudamericana and last year's Libertadores uh, against Palmeiras. The first leg of that ended 2-1 to Palmeiras here in, well, Greater Buenos Aires in Florencio Barrela. And the second leg ended 2-1 last night to Defensa Justicia, who got a winner on the night and an aggregate equaliser through uh, a fantastic strike from... What's going on there, Dan? Can we mute you? Uh, they... 
I've just muted Dan because we were getting some uh, horrible noise coming in. Through a fantastic uh, strike, um, very, very late on in stoppage time to win that 2-1. And then they won the shootout after Palmeiras managed to cock up a penalty, which shouldn't have been a penalty in extra time. And then didn't get given a penalty, which should have been a penalty immediately afterwards when they were chasing down the rebound. Um, I don't think there's been anything else of any major controversy to talk about in the last few days in South American or Argentine football, has there, gents? Certainly nothing involving both of your teams. Nothing comes to mind, just a very accomplished uh, Classico victory. Yes, on Sunday evening, Racing got a... Uh, Saturday evening. Saturday. Saturday evening, sorry, thank you. Uh, Racing claimed a dominating 1-0 uh, win, which was never for a, even a single moment in doubt over Independiente in the Clásico de Avellaneda. Um, nothing, nothing to discuss. I'll, I'll let Santi and Dan fill you in on precisely <laughs> how boring it was and indeed how uncontroversial. Oh, it was horrendous. Such a terrible game, like... Um wasn't how you know as I've said on several occasions um, this year already Racing uh, were just Racing how they've been playing ever since Juan Antonio Pizzi took over very disjointed struggling to put any sort of decent attack and play together um, and in the Beniente uh, they've been doing alright but they weren't helped by the fact that they had about a dozen players out through coronavirus um, so, yeah, it really was a case of just two very, very mediocre teams uh, terrified to lose uh, for their own particular reasons, um, just really stinking up El Cilindro. Um, and it looked, you know, let's be honest, nil-nil would have been the perfect result for probably the most forgettable Clásico de Avellaneda that we've seen at least for the last five or six years because they tend to be... Fairly interesting games um, until about the 95th minute uh, where all hell broke loose. Uh, Racing were awarded a fairly marginal penalty uh, by Mauro Viliano, now public enemy number one in the red half of Avellaneda. Uh, I think it was Ivan Maggi who came on. He, he was on his way to go and was stopped kind of sort of with the defender's body and sort of with his arm. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think it was a penalty. I think when I saw the decision was made, my first reaction was, what the fuck? And my second reaction was to laugh. Um, but I'd say, you know, I've seen more valid penalties not given and I've seen much less valid penalties given. Um, so, you know, I can understand in the Benyente fans and directors feeling pissed off. No one likes... To losing the ninety five, the ninety five, yeah, ninety fifth minute to a dodgy penalty, but I mean, does does it really warrant the the ridiculous outcry that that's happened over over the course of this last week? Even Independiente asking for the game to be replayed or the result to be null and void. Um, yeah, just to be clear, I'm absolutely embarrassed by that. Yeah, I'm absolutely uh, embarrassed by that. I get the feeling, to be fair, that probably ninety nine percent of Independiente fans, you know, are cringing uh, because of that, because you're basically just surrendering any moral high grounds you could have with that horrible decision. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you um, 
have your moment of kafas is now Santi. How did how did you see it? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you. My first, like, knee-jerk reaction to, to the penalty was to say, was to scream at the, at the television screen, not, not just uh, not to, to insult the referee or to accuse a, a, anyone of, uh, of robbery or anything. I was just pissed in the paint. They just considered another penalty in the last minute, just like they have done in the last, like, three or four match days. But then, of course, I—I um, I mean, the the truth became clearer, and then I I saw that it was uh, an absolute uh, clangor, I think, from from Migliano. Um, look, to be honest, I refuse to believe that uh, Migliano would have uh, would have called the penalty uh, in normal circumstances, or just uh, to to give him the, the benefit of the doubt and say that uh, he called it that penalty because he was instructed to call that. I think he just called it because he was such, he's such an awful referee. I think he would have called it anyway. Um, I think it's just uh, a matter of uh, the standard of referee in Argentina is just uh, enhanced by the, the game in question, the moment in which the, the penalty was called, and the fact that it meant a win for for uh, for a team over another in, in a game which, in which I think neither deserve to win, uh, but of course, well, this is football. We can't talk exactly about uh, you know what teams deserve or not. But the truth is, I think any um, any discussion or any debate as to uh, whether Bigliano was was right or wrong in in calling that penalty, I mean, the, it it is fairly uh, impossible not to not to say that he was he was way way off and uh but any discussion about the fact whether he was instructed to call it by tapia whether there was there's any uh, conspiracy by tapia or macri or anyone uh against independiente is just missing the point deliberately and steering away from the fact that independiente didn't win that game and didn't win against boca and didn't win against Tajeres and didn't win against Vélez because independiente are, are shit I mean, that's just what they are. Uh, even if um, Independiente, of course, were ravaged by, by COVID-19 cases in the squad and, uh, and they did miss a lot of, uh, of not just starters, but uh, substitutes uh, to the point in which most of the substitute bench was comprised of reserve players, uh, youth players. Um, they just regressed in such a in such a fashion from their from the early start. It's like they they've uh, crawled back to to Falcioni's old ways. Even if Falcioni wasn't physically present, it was clear that um, in the video were playing exactly what Falcioni would have played if he was. I mean, they they completely relinquished the ball in the in the second half, despite uh, the the non scoreline. They um, relinquished any chance to to go after the game. And they considered uh, a slew of chances, even if they weren't exactly very clear from Racing, um, all of which didn't uh, point at all at any attempts to actually win the game. So, I mean, the real reason as to why Independiente hasn't won a championship ever since uh, Tapia is uh, is the Afabos, or, or ever since uh, Grondona died, or you know, ever since. Uh, Ever since 2002, is the fact that we've we've been shit, plain and simple. We've been shit. Uh, the main reason is a football reason is the fact that we haven't built anything 
close to a championship winning squad for ages now. And it's really, really unlikely that we ever will if Independiente and uh, its board members keep doing this kind of shenanigans to just uh, um, this uh, public outcry at, uh, at uh, Bigliano's head and accusing Bigliano of being part of a conspiracy. It's just, it's all bullshit because it's, uh, it's steering away from the fact that Independiente are a poor team with a poorly assembled squad with no ambition at all. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, obviously, um, I've got no little sympathy for Independiente, let's say. Uh, I enjoy these games. As anyone enjoys getting the upper hand on a, in a derby, even if it's through slightly uh, slightly suspect means. Um, but it's also hard to see what's happening, you know, to one of Argentina's most... Uh, most illustrious clubs with the history they've got because it just seems that, you know, from the, from the top down, there's this very poisonous atmosphere around Independiente. Half of, you know, half of it's kind of uh, living off what happened before in the past, um, which, you know, with every year that passes, uh, becomes more of the past. I mean, you're not talking about long now before, you know, the, the great, Libertadores wins of the of the 70s and, and the 80s are going to be as much football history as Racing's win in, in 1967. Um, you know, that's just time. That's inevitable. And and yet there seems to be, yeah, this, this kind of strange mix in Independiente of the, of, the of the nostalgia, which is present in every club. Well, I think more so in, in Independiente with, um, with the emphasis they put on the, on the King of Cups tag and, and things like that and this this kind of idea that whatever happens you know it's not because the team's not good enough or they've just been run so badly for so many years or they just haven't had the players or they haven't had the coaches it's because there's a conspiracy in the AF or because everyone's out to get Moshano or or a whole load of other things. And it's, it's tiring. And I can imagine, you know, if it was my club, I'd be absolutely sick to the teeth because as long as you keep thinking in these terms, you can't actually think, look, we've been shit for, for the best part of a decade, and if not more. And very little has been done to, to turn things around. And, and it's concerning. I mean, if I'm concerned as, as someone who has, you know, close to zero sympathy to... For Independiente, I can only imagine, you know, what the more sensible people who are who are connected to the club or who, who like seeing them do well feel. Uh, it must be exasperating. I mean, the other, really is, uh, I'm not going to lie. The thing I was just thinking while you were both talking there was that there's a kind of parallel in in what I'll slightly grandiloquently call the hand of pod era of Argentine football um, with another you know, huge team who towards the beginning of Hand of Pod's history weren't having a very good time. Uh, You know, it's 10 years this year since River got relegated. Um, And since that relegation, River kind of used it as as a a boost to rework the club and and, and to go on to, you know, the the tremendous success that they've had in the Gallardo era. And Independiente were relegated, what was it, three years later, 2014, is that right? Something like that? Yeah, 2013. Okay, there's been the Sudamericana win since then, but they've not kind of pushed on and 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 made an effort to to rebuild the club from the ground up. 
um, in anywhere near the same way. Obviously, they haven't had you know quite the same budget to operate on, or, or perhaps been able to um, get the same kind of loans and, and publicity as as a club the size of River can. Um, but there's just been a lack of of of, of that impetus at, at organisational level, I think. And I don't know how much you'd agree, Santi, but. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think that, that is exactly what's going on. I mean, there's um, there's no consideration for a bigger picture. I mean, maybe you can say that about uh, about eighty or ninety percent of uh, of clubs in Argentina, but uh, in Independiente, I think it goes even deeper because um, I think every single every single cent that Independiente spend, and especially Independiente, because they spent. When they spend, they spend a shitload of money. Um, if the if that cent isn't well spent, that means Independiente are in big, big trouble. Uh, and um, you look at uh, how how much in the, just how much money Independiente are currently indebted to to so many clubs and so many players, and how many trials uh, how sorry how many suits they're they're about to lose. Because of uh, unpaid wages to to a lot of uh, their former squad, especially um, 2017 champions like uh, Gaston Silva, uh, I mean you you can see that um, there was never exactly a, a, an intention to build anything off the back of that 2017 Sudamericana win, uh, and there was just a a total and absolute uh, blind bet on trying to just. Uh, Bank on playing Copa Libertadores football every season, which only happened for one season. And uh, as a consequence, they could never pay those salaries and those transfer fees. So, I mean, from that, um, from, from the, the lack of admission to that issue, which uh, is something that even other, uh, other entities, other opposing entities have, uh, uh, have tried to point out from from the Mojanos and uh, the, the Mojanos have never been willing to to address that situation uh, or any situation for that matter. Um, I mean, therein lies like eighty or ninety percent of independent issues. It's uh, it's all from from a perspective of uh, of uh, arrogance and uh, aggressiveness, uh, but without uh, without any sort of uh, ambition. It's, I mean. I mean, it's embarrassing and it's sad and it's depressing. And uh, I don't know exactly when it's going to end because even even if uh, the Mojanos get ousted in the in the December elections, it's going to take years and years to rebuild anything um, healthy for Independiente now. Yeah, moving on. Um, in some other noteworthy results since we last recorded, uh, both River and Boca drew immediately after we last recorded with the two of HNA, the sides, River 0-0 with Racing, Boca 1-1 uh, away to Independiente. The following weekend, Boca got a 2-1 win over Defensa Justicia and River drew 0-0 away to Arsenal. And then this weekend, just gone, in a very one-sided game, um, indeed, really, Boca managed to lose 1-0 at home to Union in spite of really having the lion's share of possession and, and most of the chances and that wasn't because Union scored early and then shut up shop either. Union um, scored just after half time so Boca had the whole first half to get themselves ahead but couldn't. Um, and River won a very entertaining game indeed 3-2 against Colón. Admittedly 
the scoreline there makes it sound perhaps a little more entertaining than it was. It was a, a grandstand finish because Colón scored with six minutes to go to set up what might have been a slightly more frantic finish. But um, two fantastic, well, no, sorry, one fantastic goal from Fabrizio Anghileri with a free kick, which, I mean, I didn't know Fabrizio Anghileri could take free kicks. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Another left-back scoring. It's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. So Somebody apparently told him that he was Juan Fernando Quintero right up before he stepped up to take it. Um, and another penalty from Gonzalo Montiel, who rather bizarrely, as we mentioned before, has now become River's first-choice penalty taker. Uh, it's a right bizarre back. because, I mean, I, I think if you think about it, it makes sense because uh, a right-back wouldn't be concerned on trying a, a finesse shot or a, a chip. He just wants to bang it in without thinking to, twice about it. No, that's true. I just I, I keep remembering when he first started taking them and everybody was like, hang on, what? <laughs> he, he takes penalties? <laughs> River have got kind of three or four other players who are all strong penalty takers as well, or did at the time, and suddenly he became first choice. Um, we also need to give a shout-out to Patronato, I think, who, if I remember rightly, have had a decent couple of results. Yeah, they beat Aldo Sibi 2-0, um, about two weeks ago, and then beat Gimnasia 4 1 uh, last time out. If I'm not getting my weeks mixed up, this is last weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so well done, them. Really good performance and very much on the counter against Gimnasia, but still, you can only beat what's yeah, in front of you. They could have done with not losing the previous the seven, seven games. games but yeah. <laughs> you can take what you can get. Slightly bizarrely, they've, they've managed to, that 4-1 win over, over Gimnasia has um, managed to bring their goal difference up to only minus four now. Um, they've scored 10, of which nearly half of them came in their most recent match. So who knows? Maybe if they win the upcoming game by enough, who are they playing this weekend? Uh, this weekend, they're playing, they're away to Newell's. Um, if they win that one by enough, then who knows? They might get into positive goal difference. Um, but I'm not <laughs> going to hold my breath, I have to admit. I don't know if we've talked about the Borgos revolution, have we? We ha- No, be- beyond, beyond the advertising hoarding falling on him right after he said he was at a club with a European structure. Um, that was just before his debut, yeah. yeah. I think he's unbeaten. Um, they they beat Lanus 3-1 last weekend away from home. Yeah. They've had a 0-0 against Union, which was hmm. fairly difficult to watch. Uh, then he had 2 all. Against um, Atletico Tucumán, a another tour against Huracan, where they were on top for a lot of that game, if I remember rightly. And then Huracan hit the equaliser very, very late, so he was rather unlucky. And last weekend, yeah, three-one away to Lanús. So yeah, unbeaten, not too many wins, but. Um, but they're looking better at least because they were absolutely dire. I mean, yeah, just uh, take it. It's, so he's had three draws and a win, and that has taken Newell's up to four draws and a win. Um, so a vast improvement over over what had come before. You know, he's um, he's got them out of Patronato territory at least. Um, yeah, I mean, he's stopped the bleeding. Get. He stopped the bleeding, exactly. That's um, that's a very apt way of putting it. Um, I think the big problem, you know, Burgos has got is um, that most of his strikers are 35 or, or over, or 40 or over almost. Uh, so 
you know, for for someone from the Simeone school who likes to play on the counter, it, it's going to be hard to implement. Um, but is this within okay? I mean, you know, the bar was set extremely low when he took over. Um, but well, yeah. or, or extremely high if you're Gustavo Lopez. Thank God I'm not Gustavo Lopez. That's <laughs> what I tell myself every morning as I wake up. <laughs> this could be worse. Lanús have had a, some fun since we last recorded as well. I think they've won two different matches, 4-2. I think, right? I mean, they, they, really? they lost to Newells at the weekend, but they beat the week before that. It was, yeah, they got a 4-2 win away to Gimnasia. And the week before that, they beat Patronato 4-2. Um, so I believe their games have yielded more goals than any other 30 goals in nine games so far, which is uh, yeah, just above Atletico Tucumán, who've had 29. Um, so yeah, definitely the team to watch. Ano Gore Cruz with 35 goals in their games, that includes uh, a 6 1, right, against River. Well, that's uh, a little so that bit, excuse uh, it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah, Godoy Cruz are conceding far more than they than they're scoring. Indeed. Yes. Um, but they're yeah, so Lanús is well. Lanús's last three games though, we've had a four-two, a four-two, and a one-three. So what's that? Six plus six is twelve, and then sixteen goals in the last three matches. Um, oh, I've just realised by the way that we've also had the um, Copa de la Liga, the Copa de la Superliga 2020 uh, playoff thing to get into next year's. Sudamericana was it? Isn't it the Copa Maradona yes. playoffs between the two? The yeah, that's the one, yeah, that's the one I meant. Yeah, so Banfield have won that three-two against Belles. Um, So well done them. But yeah, Lanús. Good uh, game actually. Mm. I didn't catch it. Dan, would you like to fill us in if you can remember? Um, it was three-two to Banfield. Banfield were up two-nil. They got pegged back and they scored. Uh, deep into the second half, and they were very happy about it. Oh, uh, I did catch the end like, of it actually. I yeah, actually, I, yeah. I think Banfield were probably the team that needed to win the most because Vélez, of course, are in the are in the Copa Libertadores, uh, and Banfield, I think, uh, are playing no competition. So maybe the fact that they already secured a Copa Sudamericana place for next year means a lot to them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I was going to. Mention it. Oh yes, of course. We Dan mentioned Godoy Cruz, who are the team you should be watching at least if you want to see goals scored by the opposition. Um, but they did have some good news, even though they lost three two to Arsenal on was it Monday? Um, it was no, it was Sunday. Uh, that match kicked off at two o'clock in the afternoon, and it kicked off in the Estadio Feliciano Gambarte. Uh, not in the Estadio Islas... Is it Islas Malvinas? Mal, Mal, yeah. Malvinas, Argentinas. Malvinas, Argentinas. Oh, the Islas Malvinas is all boys, isn't it? Yes. Um, yes. yes, so after 15 years and 10 months, Godoy Cruz are playing home matches in their own stadium again. Um, yeah, that means, uh, that's their first ever uh, home game since they won promotion to the first division. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah, because they... Mm-hmm. they were in the second division they when were, they stopped. They were promoted in 2006 for the first time. Mm. Uh, it's taken them this long to basically remodel the ground, hasn't it? Because they've, they've been working on it incredibly slowly. No, yes. I think it's the fact that it was too small to, to host uh, 
first division games. I think at least economic, in terms economic terms, for them. Yeah, and then it kind of fell into disrepair. I think after a few years, and they had to to carry out some kind of renovation job on it. Um, yeah, exactly. I think it's still not technically it's still not technically up to standard, but since you can't have fans there anyway, uh, it's fine. Uh, no right. Really cares. Yeah, I think I think when when fans are back, um, they're probably going back to the Malinas Argentinas because it holds a lot more people. Very possibly. It's true, yeah, but I mean they don't exactly pack it out, do they? <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe if if I were them, I'd be trying to to work on on it so that they can have fans back in their own stadium because I, I would think that the atmosphere that you're going to get obviously you know apart from when when the big five or at least when River and Boca are visiting and then you can sell a load of tickets to neutral fans um, but for the normal home games I would have thought they'd prefer to be in their own stadium really if they can um, anyway we're going yeah, to take a, a half time break now um, and when we come back we will answer some listeners questions so don't go away First question is from Lee, uh, who's direct messaged us. Oh, actually, direct messaged just about a week ago. I'm guessing he thought that we were going to record last week, which uh, was a fair assumption to make, actually, from his point of view. But we didn't because I was feeling lazy. Um, he said, if it hasn't already been decided, which four clubs will be successful in reaching the Primera de? Um, you might remember that last time out, I think I think we talked about it on the main episode, didn't we, briefly? Um we mentioned that there are going to be four new teams affiliated to the AFA and therefore playing in Primera de rather than in regional leagues below it or the Torneo Federal structure. Um, Lee has read, apparently, I hadn't heard this, but apparently Everton de la Plata will, if they're successful, decide to play their home matches at the Estadio Unico, uh, which will mean, um, as Lee puts it, 200 people rattling around in a ground that holds about 50,000, which could be entertaining. Um as far as I can see, I was during our little um, break just now. I was I was googling and I can't find any updates on it. Uh, I don't think the decision's been made yet, but perhaps one of the other two knows something that I don't. No, no uh, hint of a decision as of yet. Uh, I saw a couple of clubs have dropped out. Don't ask me which, um, but that's about all the updates I've received on this. Um, I remember for some reason April nineteenth being a crucial date in this. Uh, so mm-hmm. watch your space. Possibly next week we'll have um, we'll have a decision. Yeah, I, have I believe, I believe this league's supposed to start in um, at the end of April, like the last week of April, April 30th, something like that. I have a feeling that when we recorded before, uh, they were expecting to start the season this coming weekend, which would explain why the 19th was sticky in our heads. But... And, and therefore, we were expecting a decision sometime this week, but obviously that hasn't happened. So, yes. so presumably. Um, oh, hang on. Is the 19th the Sunday? No, it's not, is it? Because today's Thursday the 15th, which means that no. the 19th I mean, is going to be next yeah. Monday. So, yeah, it might be that the decision's being taken on the week beginning the 19th. That could make sense, couldn't it? Um, yes. What I can say is that one of the applicants, Douglas Haig, has already started their Federal A Championship. 
they lost in their opening match uh, to Racing Córdoba. That is not at all confusing. No. No, that's, um, that raises a, a bit of a dilemma if they end up getting approved for affiliation, doesn't it? It does, yes. Do they join the, the D and then, what, forfeit all their remaining games and get relegated as a result after losing them all 3-0 on paper? Relegated from I, the Federal A and promoted... I don't, that, think that there is, be, uh... I don't think there is relegation, actually, from the Federal A. Well, no, to the Federal B, sure. Isn't there no? relegation? Exactly. Oh, this season, of course, yeah. no one gets relegated yeah. this season. Yeah, ah, to... right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, I think they'd just drop out. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, uh, I think, well, I mean, it would be fair to assume that most people high players are professionals, which are not allowed in the, in the Premier League. No. So how the fuck are they going to figure that out? <laughs> Maybe they have two squads. Very possibly. Are they going to play their reserve team all season? I don't think they'd be too upset hope it, hope uh, sacking their entire squad and running on a shoestring, to be honest. But, <laughs> no, no, yeah. but also, the, pre- pretend, the Primera Day business. The Primera Day business, remember, they're going to be limited as to the number of, un- of over 23s they can have. So maybe they do decide to play the reserves in the, and, and they're not going to be allowed to... Um, get promoted at least for the first season so maybe yeah what what harm what harm can come of playing the reserves in the Primera day <laughs> and just so, sacking the entire first team squad yeah. I mean we'll the, the, all, all, all the implications are equally as confusing when we know this what's happening incredible. when we know what's happening we will of course fill you in uh, Tom Robinson says which left back scored the best golazo Lucas Licht or Gabriel Rojas um, I actually looked up Lucas Licht and Gabriel Rojas's goals from the weekend just gone and came to the conclusion that he must have been talking about Lucas Licht's two goals against Lanús in the 4-2 defeat for Gimnasia um, oh, two weeks ago because the goal he scored last weekend was a penalty. Um, but he did score two beautiful goals, one of which reminded me a bit of a Paul Scholes volley direct from a corner against, I want to say, Southampton in about 1995, um, oh. but with his left foot. And uh, Gabriel Rojas is what's was brilliant, chested up and overhead kicked into the top corner from the edge of the box. Um, I'm not sure I want to pick between them, but as uh, Jamie has pointed out, and I've, I've retweeted a few, so if you check the Pod Twitter account, you'll see some videos. Left-backs in Argentina and more widely in South America, because Marcelo Benitez, of course, scored the goal I mentioned earlier for Defensa Justicia in the Recopa last night, has been a vibe this season. Um and Fabrizio Gileri with the free kick you just mentioned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be tempted to give Leach the nod because he's like 40 41 and, and he scored and that's two of them. Account for something. Yeah. And he scored the, the second one was not quite as spectacular, but it was gorgeously placed for about 25 yards out. Um, no, but you and he did the whole, because by that point they were 4 1 down and that goal made it 4 2 quite late on. He did the whole just absolutely smashes it into the top corner and then just turns around looking really angry with everybody, which is always, <laughs> always a fantastic look. Uh, John Ewan, who, uh, who actually first clued me in via his, his question um, a few days ago to the fact that uh, Godoy Cruz were returning to their own stadium, says, with recent developments in Mendoza, what does the future look like for Estadio Malvinas Argentinas? I mean, they'll... If this move does become permanent, uh, which, you know, as we say, that's probably a big if at the moment, once in some magical future fans are able to to come back to to stadiums. Um, I think Cruz, as we said, will use it every now and then, maybe like, you know, if Boca or River come calling and they can sell 
those uh, those neutral tickets that they love so much. Um, apart from that, it's going to be used like all of the municipal stadiums in Argentina. They'll um, use it for Copa Argentina a, games. They use it for Copa America. Maybe the odd qualifier uh, exactly. for Argentina. Yeah, it'll see some use. Yeah, that's much I've always been very tempted to go to um, to the other football stadium in Parque San Martín in, in Independiente Rivadavia. Indeed, that looks yeah. like a very fun stadium. It does. Not, yeah, I've, I've yeah. been. Um, I've not been to a game there, but I've, I've been in it very briefly. Well, um, I've walked nice past it when a game was happening, and it sounded like a laugh. Mm. Have you ever been to to a game in Mendoza, Jen? I have. Yes, I've been to the um, Malvinas Argentinas. For an away game, uh, Racing ah. Godoy Cruz. Uh-huh. Um, it's all right, you know, it's very, um, you know, 1978 massive, uh, empty bowl style, like like, Mare, mm-hmm. like the Mare Plata Stadium, kind of not great acoustics. Uh, you're very far from the pitch. You know, it's it's got its charms. Yeah, it's, so. it's very monumental, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I wasn't going to say it, but, but yeah. <laughs> When I, when, I went, it was, when I went, it was very, very cold. I went to Argentina yes. and Uruguay, um, which was Edgardo Bausa's first match in charge of the national team. Lionel Messi scored the only goal. Lucas Alario, uh, yeah. it was the game that Lucas Alario made his debut and played on the right Di, wing. Di, they were trying Di, to hold Di, Dybala was sent off, right? I, yeah, I was going to say, I think Paolo Dybala got sent off. Um, so I'm glad to know my memory isn't playing tricks on me there. But cool. yeah, it's... Uh, and then afterwards, just... I mean, if I hadn't been going as a member of the press and therefore had a, a minibus to get me back. I wouldn't have been particularly pleased with the transport options to get back into Mendoza proper after the game. The thing I remember most about that game was going on, you know, on the bus to Racing, drinking the whole way down and then uh, finding out the Mendoza police had uh, breathalysers ready for all of us. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I managed to get away with, uh, with a mate of mine. We sneaked in, you know, without... Getting uh, getting breathalyzed, but about six or seven of our of our group, like good friends from from wrestling games, they got caught, obviously tested positive, and spent the whole match in uh, Mendoza police station, Ooh. and then were were turfed out just in time uh, for full time, so Ooh. they didn't have a great experience. You wonder whether that timing was deliberate, don't you? Can't even yes. catch it on the TV. Um, Indeed. Liam Kelly. Yeah, I've I've been to Mendoza I think three times and all every time I've been basically in winter. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd very much like to go in summer because I really like it. It's a nice place, but every time I've been I've absolutely frozen my bollocks off. Um it's very warm in summer. Like I went in November 2019, so it wasn't even proper summer and it was fucking boiling. I'm sure, yeah. That's well, that's why the wine's so good. It was one of the reasons. And the Indeed. difference in temperatures. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, nice to know you were thinking of me last episode. Hope you're all well. I, well, I am, Liam. I can't speak for the others, but I assume they are because yeah. they're here. All right. Uh, he says, has anything been said regarding River Atletico Tucumán from the Copa Superliga last year, the one that River refused to play due to COVID? Will the game have to be played or have they been punished? I'd actually completely forgotten about this, but I think I remember I think, reading uh, at some point they are going to have to play it because it could affect mm-hmm. um, one of the Copa qualification standings still. Really, I, I think the one that was affected was Independiente, whether they would play uh, Sudamericana or not. But since the groups have already been sorted and Independiente have already been seeded, 
uh, I don't think that game has any relevance anymore. Ah, okay. In that case, maybe not. Maybe they just let it slide. We'll have to wait and see. If, if it ends up happening, obviously we'll mention it, but um, yeah. Perfect Tommy says, what is your elevator pitch on why anyone should watch Argentine football, the Argentine league or the Copa in the event that we have new listeners due to the Paramount Plus deal? Um, Paramount Plus what? deal? Yeah, no, no. Uh, people abroad can watch uh, uh, um, Argentina games from Argentina on Paramount Plus. Oh, yeah, an agreement. Interesting. But, uh, I mean, to answer his question, I would uh, make the elevator pitch with just one word. Why? You could do like, say... literally anything, anything else. Why would yeah. you put a game of, of this kind, of this caliber? Why? You make a terrible ad- advertising sick, Sandy. <laughs> terrible. Dan, what yeah, would you like to say? I'm a the very one thing, go- I'm a the very one thing going for it, well. The one thing going for it is that there's no VAR. And that is just a breath of fresh air, especially when you come from its ridiculous implementation in the Premier League. I mean, I, I have to congratulate your timing to, to mention VAR after the, the event of last weekend. I mean, I'll tell you, even if Racing were on the, on the receiving end, like I hate VAR and I don't want it anywhere near football. And for as long as it stays away from Argentina, I feel that is... Uh, a bonus to Argentine football. I always tend to say that uh, you should watch it because this is where a lot of the of, of tomorrow's best players in the world are coming from. And so you get to gloat that you saw them before any of your mates knew who they were. Um, so also we can it, say you get, you get to see how the sausage is made, so to speak. Indeed, yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, it's not always pretty, the, but there's this, uh, it does have a habit of, you know, every weekend you're guaranteed at least one or two really good games. But the problem with it is that it's very difficult to work out beforehand which games those are going to be. It always feels like the ones that we look at and go, oh, this should be entertaining. You know, sometimes like we had one a couple of months ago where we said it and all three of the games we picked out ended up being the three best games and we patted ourselves on the back. But ultimately, it's completely random. Sometimes you'll get a match which on paper beforehand you think this is going to be terrible and it finishes 6-5. and, and the game that should be really good is, is dull as dishwater. Um, but yeah, give it a go. You might like it. That's my elevator pitch. Yeah. You never know. It could be worse. <laughs> you never know. There are worse ways to spend 90 minutes. Don't try to understand it. Just feel it. Indeed. Um, that's it. That, that, those are all of our questions. Um, so thank you very much indeed for sending them in. I'm sorry that I completely forgot to ask any questions last time we recorded. We, we finished up the recording and we're like, that was really nice and quick and then i remembered oh bloody hell i completely forgot to ask for any questions um so thank you for sending them in this time um for now we're going to get off dan and i are going to work out something to record for hand of pod extra and if you would like some of that action then you can of course get over to patreon.com slash hand of pod and uh sign up and you'll get some extra content as usual i'm a little bit behind by uploading so i'm going to have once this episode's been uh, edited i'm going to have two episodes to upload uh, but there is extra content coming your way if you're one of our Patreon supporters, and we're very grateful for it. But for now, it's thanks and goodbye from Santi. Bye, guys. Dan. Goodbye. And me, thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>